she contacted me and said, hey, you know, we're trying to have diverse models for our products. And, you know, would some people from semi House Society that you support be interested? In? And I was like, yeah, fantastic. And what I loved about it was it wasn't like done with anything like, hey, here's a person with a disability. It was just like, here's a person. Welcome to The Journey Here, a podcast that profiles the stories of community builders from all walks of life. I'm your host, Steve Dooley. Okay, my guest today is Doug Tennant. He's the CEO of Unity, which is located in South Surrey, White Rock. Welcome to the show, Doug. Nice to be here, Steve. Good to see you. Good to see you. Always good to see you. So could we start, just tell our listeners, what exactly is Unity? Great, yeah. So Unity is the partnership of three not-for-profit societies uh, located in Surrey and White Rock who help build healthy and inclusive communities, uh, including uh, through housing that we develop, supporting people with disabilities in employment, uh, and basically uh, working on behalf of our owners, who we have defined as our community, to, to make Surrey a healthy and vibrant place. Very good. Um, and, and we are going to go into a lot more detail about Unity itself, but let's back up just to get to know Doug Tennant a little bit. You're a lower mainland guy, right? You were born and bred here? Yeah, so not too many. When I, when I go and talk to people, a lot of people coming from back east, but I was actually born in Vancouver and lived there until my mid-20s and uh, then have lived in White Rock and, and currently I live in Ladner. And um, I have a fantastic family because of COVID. I actually haven't hugged my kids in, in over a year, but uh, hopefully I get to do that soon. So my wife, Susie, and I live in Ladner. We have uh, sort of a Brady Bunch situation, five kids, um, in, including Krista, my stepdaughter, who has Down syndrome. And, and she's sort of probably why I'm talking to you today, because that kind of defined my path for me and, and how I came to be involved with uh, not-for-profits that support people with disabilities. Yeah, I definitely want to talk a bit about Krista, but can we start? So you grew up in Vancouver. I recall you were a, you played a bit of rugby, did you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So um, I'm, like my body kind of hurts all over the place when I, when I think about that. But uh, yeah, so when I was young, rugby was, was a pretty important part of my life. And I played for St. George's, the school that I went to. And then after that, uh, for the rowing club and, and had a brief season with uh, UBC as well when I was kind of the old guy. I was 27, but I'd gone back to school uh, and, and played for the varsity rugby team at that time. Now, is there anything from, you know, either going to high school or those early years kind of in sport that stick with you today in the roles that you play as a father, as a husband, as a CEO of Unity? I, I think one of the things that really has impacted my life is the realization, like when I was playing sports when I was young, things came really easily. So I probably didn't train as much as I should have. And later when I coached rugby, which I did for quite a while, kind of came to this realization that there's some kids that like need to have that training and they in fact become better than the, the natural athletes, for example, that just rely on their sort of natural instincts. Now, if you can have the combination of both of those, like Crosby or something like that, it's going to be extraordinary, but like tasks and sports and now in my life, like projects that we're working on, it does help to break things down 
and when you break things down and you sort of achieve mastery in each part of them, and, and then if you're able to bring the whole picture in, and in fact, bring the whole team in, boy, that, that's something. And that's when I was coaching rugby, that was definitely something I would try to achieve, like the skills and then the teamwork, uh, and then everybody buying into the mission, I guess, of, of the sports team or the organization that you're with. All right. And then you, uh, yeah, you go to UBC and then you end up at SFU in the MED program. Uh, when did you graduate from that? Yeah, the SFU thing. So that was great. So I'd, I'd been teaching, I think, for probably close to 15 years. And my wife, Susie, and I self had really wanted to do a master's, but we had, you know, four kids or five kids at home at different times. And it was, it was really difficult to do. And SFU um, offered uh, the master's of education that was for working teachers. And I think it's really important for people who are trying to achieve a master's is that they have some practical experience beforehand, some life experience, job experience in the area they're going to uh, work on their master's. And plus, we needed to work. Like we had to feed our kids and feed ourselves and all the rest of that. So it was a good setup where we would head out from South Surrey uh, all the way to the, the Burnaby Mountain. Uh, but it was just on Tuesday. And it, it, it was about six hours class. Uh, but it was great because when you're a teacher, and I, I, you've probably had this experience when, when you were um, a professor, like being able to be a student again was really quite cool. And my wife is an artist, um, and we actually chose to do the same masters because we needed to do the same thing. So, um, and it was um, uh, uh, creativity in the arts, uh, education master. And so I sort of focused on creative writing, something that I've interested in, but I rarely have time to, to work on. And it worked out really well. And boy, we learned a lot. And it was fairly hectic, but the way that it was set up worked really well. And just as a, an example of the worth of continuing on with your education, like that master's assisted me in getting my job now as CEO of Unity, because uh, you know I, I completed the master's a year before I ended up in this position. So it was kind of like a, a timing of things working out uh, correctly. And, and I had been actually on the board of, um, of the Unity three organizations uh, for 10 years before that, and then had left and thought I was kind of done. And, but a year later, Paul Wheeler, the sort of visionary leader of, of these organizations retired. And I was asked to come back in and, and, and did. So, yeah, I didn't mean to skip over so much of your life, Doug, but uh, so you're a teacher at Southridge, correct? Yeah, so I, I've taught both in the public system and Southridge okay. is an independent school. I taught at some really great schools in Delta, including Delview. I taught at Delview for, uh, for five years. Every year, I would be laid off because of union seniority things. And it was kind of ironic because I was the union steward uh, at the school as well. So I'd get laid off. The principal would hire me back on with the worst dog's breakfast of courses, like hopefully nobody else wants to apply for it. So I'm hired back. And then the union would come in and say, well, that needs to be grieved. So then I would be as the union steward, I would grieve my own position that I was coming back to. Wow. And just like kind of ridiculous stuff. And when I think about that, like what that system didn't respect was relationships and kind of building a community. Because you, like, you know this from working with students. You know, I'd have a year of like working with students, creating clubs, coaching sports, all the rest of that. And then at the end of the year, well, you're just the person, off you go. So after five years of that, at the fifth year, and don't forget, I had a young family at this time and all that. I, I said to the principal, like, am I going to get laid off again this year and have to go through that? He goes, yeah, you, you likely will. So 
at the same time, uh, my old principal from St. George's, Alan Brown, had been one of the founders of Southridge School. And they had asked me to, to apply there. And I, I philosophically, again, I'm like, I want to work in the public system so that I can work with people with disabilities and, and, and everything, uh, all the different variety of people that are out there. Uh, but I also needed to put, uh, you know, bread on the table. And so I did go to Southridge and extended a leave of absence from Delta for three years. And when I was at Southridge, I realized that, you know what, these kids are fantastic and they are really missing some inclusion in their lives. Uh, interacting with people with uh, intellectual disabilities. It just wasn't, it's a university prep school. So those students uh, didn't attend there. And where I sort of had my epiphany was when I, um, I think my second year there, when I was on the board of uh, Semiyamaha Society and the Unity Organizations, I said, are there any volunteers who would like to, you know, uh, partner up with some people with disabilities from Semiyamaha Society? I had like 60 kids. Wow. And, and at that time, there was only about the, the high school body was only about 240. So like a third of the kids were very interested in this. And, and I realized, okay, this is going to be actually some really positive good that will come from this because these kids, um, you know, they're privileged, a lot of them, and they are going to be the business leaders, the you know, political leaders of the future. And how can they go to school for 12 years without any interaction with people with disabilities? And so that became the reason why I stayed at Southridge. And over the years, we had over, well, I was there over 600 students who participated. And I'll give you an example of how that sort of was working out now. One of the, the best students that I had who was, you know, working with uh, people with disabilities and, and partnering up with them was a, a young lady called Carla. And she went on to be the... I think it was like the, the assistant director, the director of marketing North America for Lush. She contacted me and said, hey, you know, we're trying to have diverse models for our products. And, you know, would some people from semi House Society that you support be interested? In? And I was like, yeah, fantastic. And what I loved about it was it wasn't like done with anything like, hey, here's a person with a disability. It was just like, here's a person. And just the wonderful responses, like, you know, one of, one of the posts had over 100,000 likes. And that came about because she was involved with uh, Semiyama House Society when she was younger. One of my students is actually on my board now. And a lot of the students over the years have come back and either worked here or volunteered here. And I know that when they are in companies and organizations, they will be much more open to hiring inclusively. Mm -hmm. Now, you, you mentioned your stepdaughter, Krista earlier and that she was a big um, influence on how you ended up at unity do you want to talk about her just a little bit and how she did influence you taking that path yeah so i met krista when she was three and i was actually uh working as a bartender at the time uh not really sure where i was going in my life i was playing rugby and things like that uh but i was on you know midway through my 10-year four-year degree at ubc and and i met her and i came to a realization that boy, she, she faces a lot of injustice and barriers just based on who she is. But it wasn't about who she is. It was about society and the way that society viewed and treated and worked uh, with people with disabilities. An example of that would be when she, uh, she was the first student with a developmental disability to go to Cougar Canyon, uh, a, a school, an elementary school in, in Delta. And when this was happening, you know, the principal uh, called a meeting just to talk to parents about it. Like 300 parents show up. 
had like a doctor standing up and saying, this is going to ruin the school. Here's my beautiful little stepdaughter, wow. Krista, who you know, fantastic human being. And of course, the opposite proved to be true. She made that school 100% better. Um, the teachers would actually follow the student. You know how like students like to follow a teacher? Teachers would actually say, like I taught Krista in grade three, I want to teach grade four because I actually really like the way that having her in my class uh, makes my class kind of kinder and gentler. And also Krista would of course come with a, with a teacher's aid that a good teacher could use to sort of, you know, make the classroom more vibrant. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so Krista throughout her life, like um, she's kind of had this responsibility thrust upon her by just who she is. She has an impact. And sometimes that is an unfair responsibility for someone with a disability because they you know, have to lead this thing when maybe they just want to be like a person and hang out. Mm -hmm. um, but she has turned into a, a tremendous leader. She's one of the finalists for the YWCA. Um, Women of Distinction. Women of Distinction. Yeah. And she's taken the Community Leaders Igniting Change at SFU, which has been, I hope we talk about that. Oh, we're definitely getting there. <laughs> Dramatic impact, my organization and, and, and people I know. I definitely want to get talking about uh, Unity's involvement with SFU, but just following up with uh, Krista, who I do know very well, and we had the pleasure of doing that trip to San Diego to do a presentation right. together about the relationship between SFU and, and Unity, and it was just great hanging out with her at, yeah. a, at a conference. It was amazing. Getting back to you and, and your role at Unity, you know, we've never talked about this before, but I have a feeling that that uh, doctor in that Delta school who stood up and said, this is going to be awful has stayed with you in your, in your role now because you are so passionate about working with people with disabilities. And, and within that context, I love that Unity has the phrase diverse abilities. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what that means and maybe kind of go riff into talking a little bit about the self-advocates? Yeah, and there's a lot of discussion in our sector about what words to use. Diverse ability is a word that came and was inspired or created by a person with a developmental disability. And, and diversability is a word that is preferred by many people who have developmental disabilities. And part of the reason for that is like language has power, but it also needs to explain. And so my practice as I'm sure yours is too, is like what the person would like to be addressed as, or we mm -hmm. will do that. Um, of course, when you know the person, it's just Jim or Joe or Jane mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever, that's, that's their name. Uh, but I do believe that, and now I'll talk about the self-advocates of Semiamu, any other civil rights movement, it needs to get to the point where the people most impacted claim their language. And it's multi-layered with people who have uh, diverse abilities or developmental disabilities because there's support that's needed for some of the things that need to be done. Like people need support in decision-making, for example. And that's a real, um, it's a real art to give support in a way where that person uh, understands and then makes a decision. And then that decision is supported. Uh, one thing that I like to see in the disability movement is the word uh, CRIP is being sort of taken over, was used as an insult. Now people that have disabilities are, are claiming that word, uh, you know, the movie mm -hmm. Crip Camp, great movie. Um, I'd recommend that if you haven't seen it. Oh, I'm going to get to the self-advocacy of Samyama because one of the, one of the jobs and projects they've worked on is plain language. 
And so a lot of the documents that are out there are, are, are really in difficult language, especially like medical documents and like, you know, our policies. And so plain language is really important. And of course, when documents are transferred into plain language, everyone benefits. It's not just people with disabilities that do better. Like everyone does better if you have things in, in plain language. So Unity has a mission, which is sort of broken down into ends. One of the ends that we have is that people will be leaders. And so uh, we support people in a way where they can be leaders. And so Self-Advocates of Semiyama is a group of people who have developmental disabilities who are actually community developers uh, building relationships in their, in their community. They have had some tremendous projects. One being uh, they brought beach wheelchairs to White Rock and Crescent Beach. Wow. And what they're doing they're not just doing it for people with developmental disabilities, they're doing it for everybody. So they work for the betterment of the full community. Um, people with disabilities, a lot of them, if you imagine your whole life, where all the, your relationship with everybody else is that you receive help, right? Like think of somebody mm -hmm. with a really right. extreme barriers who doesn't communicate by speaking, who has physical disabilities. They might be in a, a situation or a role their whole life where all they do is receive help. And, and how awful would that be? Like mm -hmm. I would, I would want to punch people like I like that. That would be horrible. Mm -hmm. We need to create uh, and enable situations where people with disabilities have power, where they are the ones that are leading the conversation. The, the number one thing that we're told by the people that we support is that they want to contribute and give back by jobs, by volunteering. And when they do so, you know, their their reputation grows in the community and they themselves feel more fulfilled. Housing is another way that we achieve that. So we built Chorus, which is an inclusive and affordable apartment in uh, 2016. First purpose-built rental apartment in Surrey in over three decades. We built it because there's a tremendous need for homes for people with uh, developmental disabilities. Quite often, they stay at home way too long. Like, I don't mm. want to live at home when I'm 30, but uh, they are going to live at home when they're 30. And so we created that. It's an inclusive model, 71 rental homes, 24 people uh, who have developmental disabilities spread throughout, and they're doing tremendously well. Um, we do uh, uh, research, uh, something called Include Me Quality of Life, which is a scientifically verifiable uh, research into the quality of people's life. And it's compared to the general population in British Columbia. And this is fairly unheard of. The tenants with disabilities who live in chorus, their quality of life is higher wow. than people without disabilities. That, that just doesn't really happen, but it does when people have homes. When you have a home, you can invite people, you can share your bounty with others. Mm. Can you imagine if you never had a home, you'd never be able to invite people over? And they do. Well, before COVID, my stepdaughter who lives there won't let me in. <laughs> <laughs> She's very cautious. She's like the best COVID person you'd ever see. She follows all the rules and, and does an extraordinary job. But here's, here's one little story like that brings a tear to my eye. Uh, after a little while after we built course, a mom of one of the you know 30 year old uh, tenants who had moved in called me and told me a little story. She said, my daughter was shopping at Safeway across the street and I got a phone call. And my daughter said to me, mom, is there anything I can pick up for you? And, and what a simple, kind act. Wow. And yet, 99% of people with disabilities, developmental disabilities, never have the opportunity to do that. 
And, it, and it's just so simple and straightforward. But given the opportunity, like anybody else, they do it. And, and it's those little interactions that, to me, kind of demonstrate that, yeah, we're on the right track. And we've built course, and I think you probably know, we're trying to build another apartment, running into a few roadblocks right now. Uh, but I, I know that Harmony, the apartment we're trying to build, you know, 100 meters from a transit hub at the intersection, basically, at 152nd and 20th, you know, right beside a, a gas station and on five and a half acres of property that Unity owns, it's a gem for the city. And we want this to be of benefit to the citizens of Surrey and South Surrey. And we have, you know, like there's 5,000 people that have signed a petition saying they want this and it will happen. And um, I, I think part of the issue there is that there is a misunderstanding of the type of housing we do, which is affordable and inclusive, where we want it to be reflective of the community. Hmm. So we'll, we'll have people with disabilities, but also essential workers, families, hmm. seniors, um, students. And with Chorus, our apartment, it's worked out wonderfully. The businesses around here love it. They get a lot of business because people who live in affordable housing shop locally and their dollar goes to the, to the businesses around us. Um, you know, it's, it's all good and, and harmony will happen. Uh, I think people just need to understand a little bit more of, of what that housing actually is. Hey Doug, we got about 10 minutes left, if that's okay with you, but uh, I keep, as I listen to you, I, I always hear your passion uh, and your commitment to people with diverse abilities. Um, people like Krista, who's amazing. And I know there's many others in, in the program. And I, and I keep imagining if that doctor that you saw in Delta so many years ago, if you could give him a tour of everything uh, that you've built, not you personally, I know that you're part of a, a well, well-developed team at Unity, um, but it would just be such a eye-opener for that person to learn about the, the possibilities of what can actually happen. But I, I do want to talk a little bit about Unity's involvement with SFU. Uh, and in particular, maybe starting with the ambassadors program at uh, CTU Expo 2017 uh, for the common good. And I, I'll just very quickly outline it. It was a program where, you know, we were putting on this conference and how can we support uh, people with barriers to employment to, sorry to, for the expression, but take advantage of their great capacity and the contributions that they can make to helping us put on an excellent conference. And if you wouldn't mind using uh, the name Craig to, uh, to help us yeah. kind of think about Unity's role in the ambassadors program, because it was, from our perspective, fantastic. Oh, and, for, and from ours too, and for a few reasons. So one is universities, and, and universities are getting much better, but kind of the last bastion might be people with developmental disabilities or diverse abilities um, not being part of that university life and university life as you know is much more than just going to class it's the social stuff it's the clubs it's the fraternities it's that like all of those things and so to to have an opportunity with the ambassadors program to participate as fully valued partners um, was outstanding for organizations uh, but what i particularly liked was the, the way that it was, well, one was people got paid. So quite often, you know, in those types of positions, people aren't paid. And so the fact that it was important to SFU that people doing that work were being paid for it um, was great. And a living wage, a living wage. Yeah, a good yeah. wage. And again, yeah, really important. The other thing, which I know you live by, and I know I live by, but the power of relationships. And, and so if a person 
is never in a situation where it's a university and they're meeting, you know, the, the people that are involved here, like that, that's not going to be part of their network. And now those ambassadors, I don't know how many there were, like 50, there were a lot of them. They now have all these contacts. And Craig, fantastic uh, guy that I know, and now you know, um, who like, literally, he's a clown. He gets paid to be a clown uh, at different events. And, and he is just a tremendous ambassador. Like he has no problem talking to people. Um, you know, he's Sean in there because why not? Like he's a very affable guy. He takes his job seriously. And he had an opportunity to, you know, meet people that, that because of the structures that we've set up in our society, he wouldn't have had an opportunity to meet otherwise. And so SFU was very thoughtful and purposeful about setting up that environment. Um, and through those relationships, you know, more things can happen. So the, the question that I, I wanted to say about Craig is I remember one time we were in a, at an event and uh, uh, Craig was there and he was asking me, Steve, you know, I want to, you know, set up my business. Do you have any ideas about how to go about doing the financial part of it? And I said, well, no, I don't. But right over there is the, the CEO of uh, Westminster Savings. Yeah. So the social capital that we were, we were able to do was, was really, really good. And you're right, like the relationship part. And that's why like you are a very valuable person for us to know, because you have a vast network of people who you know through all the different things that you do in the community, et cetera. And so when you think about like, like mining you for your relationships in a, you know, in, but in a true way, and Craig's good at that. He is going to go and ask that question and, and, and make that happen. You know, 40 years ago, someone in your position would not be interacting with a person with diverse ability. And then it's like, well, how come they can't have jobs? Well, because they can't meet Steve, right? Like there's, there's these combinations of things where you set it up that, oh, responsibly have a job and yet nobody's hiring. So how's that mm -hmm. a responsibility? And, and I want to get to the point where I can say to someone with a diverse ability, hey, you need to get a job because jobs are out there for you. Mm -hmm. And that's where we need to get, get to. Establish the right, like the right for housing, the right to have a job, and then we can talk about the responsibilities of, yeah, you need to do this or you need to do that. And the responsibility part just comes naturally, by the way. Mm -hmm. Okay, click in the, the great Kathleen Burke, Community Leaders Igniting Change. No kidding. And, and again, this is like, you know, an individual person with a passion uh, who's doing so much good. And, and just think of the number of students that have graduated. I think from my organization, we've had probably at least 12. And what I really like about it is that it's staff as well as people with diverse abilities together. And what I loved about Kathleen and appreciated was, you know, our staff are great. They're, they're thinking, I'm here to support the person with the diverse ability to take this course. And Kathleen's like, no, 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 no. You're in the course, you're taking it too. So for Unity, it's been outstanding. Like the employees that have taken that have just added to that leadership dimension at our organization. And a lot of them are like progressing well in the organization. And, and that course they took, I'm sure, is a big part of it. And then for the people with diverse abilities that we've talked about, it's fantastic because in that class, they're meeting other people. Everyone in the class is like their leaders. They're trying to do their thing from, you know, the person who's trying to organize a block party to someone who's trying to, you know, support refugees uh, to uh, whatever it is, like to SAS that's trying to, you know, bring beach wheelchairs, but they all work together. And historically, people with diverse abilities or disabilities have been ostracized, segregated, kept apart. And when they are invited in, then they blossom like anyone else. 
and then they can actually become the leaders who then can invite other people in. Because there's that thing about like, uh, we need a place at the table, right? But, but I actually think there's more to it. It's like, you don't just need to be invited to the table. You actually have to have the opportunity to host that table. So that's sort of the next thing we need to get to for people with diverse abilities, supporting them to be the leaders and, and the hosts of, of the tables. And like they're hosting in their own apartments and yeah. bringing people in. I really like that. And, I, I, and I, we should give acknowledgement to Envision Financial and yeah. Susan Byron for their support for the program. I remember the first cohort, we, uh, we did it and we asked the students, well, you know, we could do this course anywhere. We could do it in a room at City Hall. We could do it at the library. Uh, and they said, absolutely, it has to be at SFU. So seldom are we invited onto the university campus and we want to be part of the university campus. And then that's, again, I'm going to kudos again to you and SFU Surrey in that you understand that and you do invite people in to host that importance of place and people with diverse abilities not being invited in or welcomed or understood in these places. And you know what? You probably have courses where you're talking about people with developmental disabilities, psychology, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And yet there's nobody, there's nobody there with a developmental disability, right? So mm-hmm. the step that you've taken of inviting them into the campus, I, I think is great because then they can also say like, hey, this is great. I want to be here more. And then, you know, pound down the doors and make that happen. And you don't just do that, by the way, um, talking about you now, um, you do that with like the local immigration partnership where you've hosted stuff there um, and just the variety of things that are happening in Surrey. And I really love that we have some university campuses now in in our city, uh, SFU being the, the biggest one, where you've added so much life and vibrancy to uh, city center or do we call it like university square now or something but like it's a no city center city center we're part of city center city center um just having students there with the people who are you know have lived there for a long time so um you're helping make uh, surrey vibrant for sure well thanks doug we're gonna have to leave it there but i'm gonna need to have you come back if you're if you're open to it i mean we didn't even get to your role as chair of the surrey board of trade you're doing doing so much and i'm almost done and uh (laughs) I, I had big shoes to fill, Steve, because you were there the year before I was. <laughs> well, thanks, Doug. Uh, and uh, we look forward to having you back. And, and congrats on the, on the great work you're doing with Unity. And we very hopeful that you'll get that second building done um, as soon as you can. And we look forward to talking to you again on the podcast. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Steve. And I actually look forward to seeing you in person and uh, having a bevy with you at some point too. Sounds great. Thanks, Doug. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Journey Here. We hope you'll join us again on our next episode for more stories of people making an impact in their community. You can find The Journey Here on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts.